In early December, the university at Albany unveiled what is being billed as a first-of-its-kind weather risk communication center that represents a partnership between academic researchers and state emergency managers in order to better inform decision-making before, during, and after severe weather events. To explain how the new tool will work and what it means for New Yorkers, we're joined in the studio on the Capitol Press Room by Nick Basel, the director of the State Weather Risk Communication Center. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks for having me. So what is the gap or, I guess, uh, inefficiencies in the current weather risk communications that the new center is looking to either fill or improve on? One thing that I think most people don't realize is that in New York, as well as virtually every other state in the country, there are not meteorologists within state agencies or authorities or state government. Most of the time, this is not a problem because we have the excellent National Weather Service. They fulfill most of our needs. But when you have a big weather event, you know, think a hurricane, a blizzard, or even nuisance weather events that impact whether the school closures, those those sorts of things, we often want maybe more information than we can quickly glean from something like the National Weather Service. Okay. And then once we have a storm... Afterward, if it's a big enough storm, we're requesting, say, disaster assistance from the national government or or other things like that. There are a lot of reporting requirements Mm. for that if you want to earn that money or do other things like that. And if you're not a meteorologist and you have to look up how much snow fell in Putnam County two months ago or what was the peak rainfall in Orange County six months ago, it may be difficult for you to do that kind of thing. Well, can you give an example in maybe New York's recent history of how the communication center might have been utilized to improve response from government officials? Yeah, let me give a couple examples. So one of them is after a big snowstorm. So if you are requesting disaster money, you need to demonstrate that a county has exceeded their one, two, or three-day record snowfall. So it's kind of complicated because first you need to know where those records are kept Mm -hmm. and then what they are. And then you need to be able to find the snowfall reports. And then third, you need to be able to dig in to the timing of those. Did that snowfall happen within 24 hours? Was it within 48 hours? And so on. So for recent big events, such as the Buffalo Blizzard, uh, other kind of really big, you know, we didn't have a lot of snow otherwise in New York uh, right. last year, but other recent snowstorms in, in the past couple of years, we want to be able to show that we've hit that benchmark so that we could uh, get all of the federal money that we are requesting. In a more recent example, unofficially, our first big weather event, once we were starting to do a little bit of work as a state weather center, as we were getting spun up, was the extreme flooding in New York City during September 29th. In some prior work, we connected weather data from our great observing system here in the state. We have something called the New York State Mesonet, which is kind of a, a, a diamond in the rough that most people don't know about, but we have the best weather observing system in the country. That's all over? All over New York. Right. Um, connected that data with our sewer capacity data from New York City. So if we know that... inches of rain is what the sewers can handle in New York City per hour, I should say. If we get more rain than that in an hour, there will be flooding. So if we know how much rain is falling in real time 
and if it exceeds that 1.75 inches per hour, we can know without even hearing a report from someone, there's probably flooding going on right now. So we have those products developed and we were using them in real time during the September flooding. And those products made their way all the way up to Governor Hochul and she uh, tweeted out some of those products, which is kind of a, we hadn't been announced yet, but sort of our unofficial first, first use case. Well, how do you convey the information from the National Weather Service or the Mesonet? Do you have uh, a red phone that you pick up and the governor's on the other line, or is it a little different than that? Yeah, I think a lot of people have the conception that the governor themselves, and I'm not just talking about New York, I'm talking about any any state, but that the governor or her chief of staff themselves is kind of the ones picking up that phone and making that decision. And sometimes, certainly, they are. But in general, for weather events, there's a there's a large infrastructure of emergency managers uh, across the state who who do much of the legwork. So here in New York, we have the Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Ser- Services. Despite their name, division, they're really a an agent, a department, an agency, and we primarily communicate with them. At least that's what we're doing right now. And we don't have a a, a red phone, so to speak, but we create weather briefings daily and then follow up on their request for additional information, reach out to them if the forecast has changed. And that is for just normal kind of everyday annoying events like the rain we're having today. If it's a really big weather event, we'll go visit them in person so we can sit alongside with them while whatever impactful weather is occurring. And then afterward, we'll be receptive to them in Uh, helping to create those reports or dig up that weather data or find various interesting, you know, tidbits like this rainfall hasn't happened in blank number of years and that sort of thing. Well, how do you go about conveying the ambiguity of these weather predictions, especially when it comes to, say, the probability that something might occur? Because I know there are people still scratching their heads over the 2016 election outcomes, despite 538 explaining to them what uh, probability means. So is that a challenge in conveying this information? It, It is an extreme challenge, yes. And it is one we have been tasked with working on. Mm-hmm. you know, it, it, We're not going to solve it. It's going to be a perennial challenge. But one of the problems is if you are conveying to someone the most likely forecast is A, but the worst case forecast is B, a lot of times you want to plan for B just because you don't want to be surprised. But the problem with that is that A is going to happen more, more often. And so it can look like you're sort of a boy who cried wolf Fear casting. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a that's a real concern. And so finding that right balance between appropriately conveying the worst case while making it clear what the actual chance of that is. You know, is the worst case a one percent chance of happening, or is it a thirty percent chance of happening? Those are very different things. And so I think one of our main tasks will be doing that in a way that hopefully does not scare our partners. You know, we don't want to always be seeming like you're forecasting the worst storm every week after week because that's not likely to happen and you'll get tuned out. But it is important to convey when there is that that chance that something really wild could happen. So I think a, a good example of that actually is uh, going back to the September 29th flooding. One of our tasks will be serving as sort of a translator of the National Weather Service forecasts. And so there are some scenarios where you might look at a National Weather Service forecast map 
and see, say, a two to three inches of rain being forecast, which is a lot of rain, but maybe not enough to cause flooding. And certain times we look at that and we know, okay, it's very, very, very likely to be two to three inches. If it's more than that, it's probably only going to be three and a half inches. Conversely, there are other times where we know that they're saying two to three inches because that is how much the average person in that region will likely experience. But we know that the possible peak amount might be much, much more. And so if we think back to that September 29th event, places in New York City got up to eight or nine inches of rain. And while the forecast was for two to three inches, that was because the average place in New York City would likely see to two, two to three inches of rain. Certain spots, like we know Brooklyn and others, got hit the hardest, but other spots, like Staten Island, got relatively little rain. And so being able to take that forecast and explain it to our state partners saying, here's the forecast, but understand that what this means in this scenario is that certain areas will see very much more rainfall that will almost certainly result in flooding, whereas maybe a different kind of storm would not have done that. Does the role of the State Weather Risk Communication Center extend to making policy recommendations, or do you just hand over the weather prediction? I think right now we are the latter, just the weather prediction. Uh, It's possible that we could develop into something like that. If someone asked us for information, certainly we would not withhold it. We would do our best to to answer that. But uh, I think right now we're, we're staying clear of the, the policy realm. Moving forward, are there ways that you envision improving the center and its operations, whether it's uh, more data, new technology, something I don't know because I'm a you know, talking head for a living? <laughs> yeah, that, there are definitely a lot of ways that I envision us going in the future right now our focus will be on what you might call operational weather so what you know what's happening right now we're not tasked with doing research although we can certainly be here as a resource for other agencies in the state that are doing research relating to weather that they need they, they need assistance with we can certainly help them out where appropriate but i would like us to thinking long term what are our sort of bigger research projects that we can conduct with the state to help them meet their goals? And that could be, you know, climate change. It could be renewable energy. It could be health disparities relating to heat impacts, you know, anything like that. I want to be that resource. And part of why I say that is because we're located at the University at Albany. And the University at Albany is a, a top five meteorology school in the country. They're a significant resource for anyone who's attempting to do research. There's a lot of knowledge there that I think our center could serve as sort of a a go-between to connect all of that research to the people in the state that need it. So then until you realize that vision, what do the non-emergency weather event days look like for you and your colleagues and students? That's a really good question. And right now... Uh, I should be clear that right now we're we're still in the process of hiring, so we expect to have about ten people eventually, and we're we're at three right now. So clearly we're we're still growing. So in some sense, I don't have a, a a final answer for you, but I do know what the answer should be, and that is there's a wide range of things. One of them is helping the state with training exercises. So we just got done planning 
and then executing a large-scale training exercise with the state uh, run by the Division of Homeland Security and, and Emergency Services that's centered on a theoretical winter storm. So our task was to create the weather scenario, serve as the meteorologist for the storm if it were to occur, and that helps the state become better prepared so that when such a storm would happen, everyone knows basically how it goes. How, how, you know, wh who do we contact? What do we have to move? What do we have to plan for? Um, so that's something that we can definitely assist with. After a big weather event is over, uh, there are a lot of reporting requirements, um, after action reports. Right. Uh, so we'll contribute to that. When it comes to times when none of that is required, what I want us to focus on are, are two things. One, creating new weather products that we can then use for when the next storm comes. And I'll, I'll give you a really simple example of one. When there's a winter storm about to happen, transportation will want to pre-treat the roads. They'll want to maybe put salt out in advance or something like that, brine perhaps, so that the snow or freezing rain or whatever it is doesn't stick as much to the, to the road. However, as we know, at least here in Albany and other places in New York, uh, we don't get these clean winter storms a lot. Oftentimes it starts as rain, then moves over to snow, or maybe it starts as snow and moves over to rain. And there is not a product that exists that I can give you or anyone else that just says, if a winter storm is coming, will it start as rain or will it start as snow? It's a very simple product that does not exist. And if that were to exist and say you were a member of the DOT, I could give that to you and you would know, okay, here are the spots where I'm going to pre-treat the roads because it will start as snow. And I will not pre-treat the roads over here because it is rain and it will just wash off salt right away and it'll be a waste of time and resources and hurt the environment at the same time so i want to create products like that that can be useful when we're kind of in between storms and finally we've been tasked with uh, becoming a better uh, communicator of complex information i know communication is in our title but this was uh, one of our sort of mandates given to us by Commissioner Bray of the Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services. And this touches back on our earlier discussion of you know, how do you communicate that we have a one in 20 chance of something extreme happening, but in all other scenarios, it's not going to. How do we communicate that in a way that you, the emergency manager or the commissioner of an important state agency or authority, uh, can understand and you know maybe not get scared by that the the big number of the worst case scenario, but still know how to prepare for it. Those are really big challenges. Um, so part of it is really basic stuff. You know, when you're preparing a briefing, how do you prepare it? Where do you put the most important information on a slide? What colors do you use? And those are pieces of information that maybe seem. Uh, mundane to, to most of us, but there's been a lot of social science work that say that, that that your strategy for doing that kind of thing is really important in terms of how someone interprets what you are presenting to them, especially if they only have, say, 30 seconds to a minute to look over it and interpret it. Well, finally, if most New Yorkers are like me, they get a lot of their weather news from their smartphone uh, and the weather apps that they utilize. 
do you envision that the information that you glean and the recommendations that you put out could impact, say, the iPhone or other smartphone weather alert updates? Or is that something that is a bridge too far for now? What's the interplay there? I'd love to say the answer is yes, but I I think it is a a pretty resounding no, unfortunately. Uh, And part of that is... uh, you know, everything is AI and machine learning these days. And so when you see that the rain is going to start in 13 minutes or that sort of thing on your on your iPhone or Android, uh, that is being driven by oftentimes machine learning models or artificial intelligence models behind the scenes. And a lot of really um, larger weather companies, so, you know, I think AccuWeather and these other you know, weather channel, the kind of the big weather companies that come to mind when you think weather on a national scale. Uh, unfortunately, they um, are, are often laying off employees. And so that's, that's it's kind of sad from a, a meteorologist perspective because I, you know, I'm sad to see, see those folks um, get laid off. But my, my point is that a lot of those are, are kind of being driven more by um, machines or some sort of algorithm on the backside and so I, I don't really anticipate us being incorporated into those, which is which is fine because our role here, I think, is to serve state government and to help make sure they're the most prepared and able to recover as quickly as possible after the storm. I don't believe that we've been asked to be here for, uh, you know, creating the next great um, iPhone app or something like that. So then you don't necessarily envision a future where New Yorkers are interacting directly with the center. The government or levels of government will essentially be a, a middleman. I think that is largely true, although certainly uh, we will put anything that we create online so the people can, can visit it. We're located at UAlbany, so we happily accept uh, visitors. We're, there's a lot of boxes in, in our office right now because we're just getting set up, but uh, we'll happily accept visitors. Um, we're going to have a lot of students and interns, so going to want to interact with the public as well that way and be a good steward of education and, and also be a, a good partner to the National Weather Service as well. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Nick Bazil. They're the director for the State Weather Risk Communication Center here in Albany. Nick, thanks so much for visiting us. Thank you. It's been a great time. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team. Join us again for Capital Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.